Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. You know, we've talked a, a lot on uh, previous episodes of the Global Medical Device Podcast about a changing regulatory paradigm in the medical device industry. And, you know, there's certainly a lot of uh, angst and uh, uncertainty, certainly with the EUMDR for all kinds of devices. There's certainly a lot of things that are changing if you have software as a medical device. Classification changes, qualification changes, impact on your quality system. And it's something to be proactive about. And and even if you are not a software as a medical device company, I would encourage you to tune in to this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast, where I talk with Andrew Wu. Andrew is a software consultant with Rook Quality Systems and an expert in software as a med device and, and has a lot of expertise in FDA and EUMDR and, and all the changes that are impacting our industry and, and your products. So, uh, enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, founder, and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. You know, folks, if you are have been in this industry, medical device industry, and, and paying any bit of attention, one thing you know for sure is there are a lot of changes happening right now. If, if you weren't aware of that, then crawl out from underneath your rock Things like, you know, in the past, 1345-2016, yeah, and they're working on a new version of that now, too. That group is meeting now to, to make changes to that here in the near future. We've ta- heard about MDSAP, we, the now 14971, there's a new version of that that's going to be coming out literally any day. So lots of changes. One of the biggest changes that seems to, uh, well, it's... We're all struggling with this right now. I'm trying to understand the ramifications and, and the impact is EUMDR. And there are some specific things about EUMDR that certainly are confusing about for companies that are developing software as a med device, SAMD. Well, the good news for you is we've got an expert on this episode. We've got Andrew Wu. Andrew is with Rook Quality Systems. Andrew, welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thanks for having me, John. It's my pleasure to be here. So before we dive super deep into today's conversation, uh, I'm going to take another sip of coffee. But if you could uh, maybe give folks a little bit of a background about you and your expertise, that would be helpful. Sure. So my background is in biomedical engineering, have been training in that area. Um, and soon I joined an industry uh, per, uh, focusing on uh, mostly software development projects for medical devices, uh, both for embedded softwares, as well as ASA-MD, uh, as John was referring to. Um, so I have been working with Rook uh, to help out clients all over the world on identifying the right regulatory pathway uh, for clearance in major markets, um, as well as you know, putting together the application for clearance, as well as offering auditing services uh, for manufacturers to demonstrate compliance uh, to different regulatory bodies over the world. So um, I think uh, very excited to have the opportunity yeah. to just be on 
on this MDR change that uh, everybody is very anxious about? <laughs> well, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll focus on uh, the EU MDR and software as a med device. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about other markets like FDA in the US as well in that process. But I guess probably a good place to start uh, is what has changed in terms of software as a medical device classification and qualifications with the new EU MDR? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's definitely a, a good entry for this discussion. Um, so one thing that you know, most people have noticed is the qualification of medical device. Uh, that definition has broadened a little bit. Um, you know, in addition to the diagnostic and therapeutic purposes for medical devices, um, the definition of medical device also start to include devices that provide functions such as uh, prediction of disease state, um, as well as uh, devices that provide prognosis of disease state. Um, so, you know, to simplify things a little bit, uh, if you're device was classified as a medical device under MDD, it will remain as a medical device. Um, but if your device is giving information that you know, provides a timely or near future decision information that provider wants to leverage um, to make any clinical decisions, it will start to be considered as a medical device. So uh, if you're in that arena, uh, just be very cautious um, in that regards. Uh, you might be re being regulated. So classification uh, of SAMD has been changed drastically after MDR is implemented. Um, you know, back in the MDD days, um, there was no provision that specifically for software. But now, uh, NDR have a Rule 11 that's designated for classification of software. And the, one of the bizarre things that you know, many people encounter while reading this provision is that the language of classifying the software is relatively vague um, as well as uh, very broad. So I'm just going to read it out loud um, just to get... Uh, uh, the audiences have an understanding of what the definition is like for classification of SAMD. So SAMD is defined as the software that intended to provide information which is used to make decisions with diagnostic and therapeutic purposes. And this information is used for clinical decisions, as I mentioned. If you are in that arena, then your software is classified as a class 2A device. Um, so this definition is, is very high level. Uh, it does not provide uh, you know, that much clarification in any regards. So the implication of this definition you know, can, be, can have a greater ramification on the devices that it covers. So, that being said, the, the consensus in the industry is, is that partly there's no SAMD left as a class one device, uh, while most of the device will be automatically designated as a class two A. So that's I mean, a pretty, yeah. That's a pretty big change. 
It sure is. And everybody's very anxious about that. <laughs> well, and, and do you, have there been any companies that have, um, have been through this process uh, with this big change that you're aware of? So a lot of companies reach out to us and we do, you know, a preliminary gap analysis for them and let them know what kind of changes they need to make in order to be conformist to the MDR. And one thing that we noticed is that companies are leveraging this kind of services, a preliminary gap analysis to identify what resources is needed and what's the time, the feasible timeline for them to do the conversion. Um, some of them just get on it very quick uh, while leveraging our resources and our partners' resources as well. While some of them determined that it's, you know, it's too much work uh, within the scope of what they're focusing in the near term. So they decided to, you know, postpone of commercializing their product in EU, um, you know, and, and, and focus on some other things that's, that's more imminent and urgent. Yeah. Well, I'm, I guess I'm a little bit curious about this. I mean, obviously, this, this is a big change and any uh, companies that are developing software as a med device that, that meets this this uh, new definition, this is going to be uh, impactful. Um, it may be less impactful, I would assume, to a startup that's developing their first device, but I, I don't want to make too many assumptions here. But who do you think is going to be most impacted by by these this new SAMD classification and qualification in the EU MDR? That's a great question. I'm glad you brought it up, John. Um, so this question is often asked by our clients, um, but it's actually a little difficult for me to give a clear answer. So I'll go in from the perspective of two things. Um, so first, if your product is already on the market in EU and it's classified as a class one software, you need to take a look at the standard like real quick because most likely you'll no longer be classified as a class one. You'll be up-classified as a class 2A. So that's, that's one aspect. And the second aspect is for those group of manufacturers who are, you know, doing, who are providing a product that, you know, gives uh, a clinical information or, or some information that can drive or inform providers for uh, clinical decisions. Uh, I think this is another group of manufacturer that might be more likely be impacted in this regard. Um, so let me give, you know, just two quick examples of what we thought is a good um, you know, a starting point of, you know, diving into a further discussion. So this example is a class one device that's provided by the MetDev 2.1-6 guidance that's published uh, several years ago. So this device will actually be upregulated. And uh, dev the device is a orthopedic planning software that measures uh, the interpedicular distance or sagittal diameter of a spinal canal. So it's essentially a software that allows clinicians to use um, to measure anatomy of uh, geometries. Um, and, you know, per MDD definition, it is a class one device uh, because it's not an active therapeutic device 
and and it's not a diagnosis tool, um, and it does not administer medicines. So you know, it's automatically uh, classified as a class one device uh, due to the fallback rule in Rule Twelve of MDD. Uh, however, uh, as we mentioned just now. Um, Sure, this software is delivering information for therapeutic purposes, especially driving clinical management. Um, so it will automatic, automatically be up, updated, um, uh, upregulated as a class 2A device. Um, so, yeah, uh, the, you know, manufacturers out there is just, um, you know, just my high level recommendation of, you know, uh, the, the groups who needs to look into further. Um, but we're happy to have a further conversation with you if there is any concern that emerges while you're listening to this podcast. Well, let's dive into the the uh, situation where a company may have a uh, SAMD that's class one, um, you know, under the the old paradigm. And your advice is for them to to dive in and do a, a review to assess if their situation has changed from a classification standpoint. Let's assume that they do this and it has changed. What would be good next steps? I mean, should they contact their notified body right away to, to start the ball rolling? Is there uh, you know, a timeline that's important to them to make this transition? Can you maybe elaborate on that a little bit further? Absolutely. So the general advice we have is that if your device is on a market, as I mentioned just now, if your device is on market and your software is a class 1A device, um, you have to know that those products are actually eligible for the grace period, which means that your device needs to be, uh, you know, you have to demonstrate conformance to MDR by next year, May 25th. So if you are in that category, uh, please get on it real quick and work with your notified body on, you know, getting a recertification timeline and, you know, plan your resources accordingly. The least thing that you want to have, well, last thing you want to happen is, you know, your device being um, available on the market. Okay. So if your device is not on the market yet, then you have a few more options to do. Um, well, our general advice for a manufacturer out there is to, you know, understand what this transition would cost you in terms of the resources and time and people uh, needs to involve in this exercise. Um, generally, uh, I think I'll, I'll just cover it from, you know, three major perspectives. One is in terms of the documentation side. Uh, you need to provide some technical documentation and you have to update your QMS uh, as well as clinical evaluation. Uh, There has to be a framework of it as well and post-market surveillance. Um, That's a big part that you need to work on. A lot of documents need to be updated um, and there could be some strategy involved uh, if you consult with people who have done it before um, and, and help you to, you know, prioritize things a little bit. And secondly, there are a lot of communication that you need to streamline with the notified bodies. Uh, for instance, the post-market surveillance plan and report, clinical follow-up report, post-market, 
as well as periodic safety update report as well. That's all you need to you know, clarify with your notified body. Um, as well as there is a database that you need to update your device registration, UDI information, and you know, a few more information. It's called Udamed database. Uh, you know, the funny thing is that um, the Udamed database is actually not available at this moment. It, it will be available sometime next year. There's no clear timeline of that. Um, but, you know, a lot of class one device on the market uh, needs to demonstrate conformance by May 25th of next year. Um, so, you know, that's something that, you know, gives manufacturer more uncertainty. Um, you know, you know, nevertheless, uh, you, you, it's, it's recommended that you have to work on, you know, as much as you could at this moment and, you know, get some help uh, to plan uh, your timeline ahead. I think that's our best advice at the moment. Yeah, and folks, the things that Andrew just shared, yeah, they they will impact software as a med device companies, but uh, those uh, quality management system changes, risk management, clinical evaluation, post-market surveillance, UDI, and, and so on, Udamed, that's uh, going to impact every single medical medical device company in, in the EU. So uh, if you're listening up to this point, and you're like, oh, it doesn't apply to me because I'm not a software as a device, uh, you'd be wrong. Um, let me take a, a brief pause. I want to remind you all that I'm talking with Andrew Wu. Andrew is a software consultant with Brook Quality Systems. Uh, he's an expert and in, in all things software as a med device, not just for the EU MDR, but frankly, throughout the world. So really great resource. Uh, I always learn something when I talk to, to Andrew. So reach out to him. Uh, you can uh, contact him via email if you have questions. Andrew.wu at rookqs.com to learn more and, and to ask your questions. I wanted to remind you all, too, that Greenlight Guru, we're here to help. Uh, we work with medical device companies of all shapes and sizes all over the globe. Yes, we work with software as a med device companies as well. It's important to have the proper regulatory framework in place when it comes to your design control activities, your risk management activities, as well as building out and ensuring that you have a compliant quality management system. Hey, that's what we do at Greenlight Guru. We help companies with this. We have an EQMS software platform that wins awards that's designed specifically for the medical device industry by actual medical device professionals. So if you want to learn more, go to www.greenlight.guru to find out more about how we might be able to help you. We'd love to chat with you and, and talk about ways that we can help you meet all the new criteria in EU MDR, FDA, and, and all the other markets that you're dealing with. So, so check it out. Um, so Andrew, we've talked a lot about the changes that are happening um, from a classification standpoint, from a qualification standpoint for software as a med device. You, you, you touched briefly on some of the other more global things from a quality management system that are impactful. Uh, you, you recommended companies dive in and, and understand what's going on right now with respect to, to these possible changes and how they might impact them. So any practical advice or, or other tips or pointers that you want to offer on EUMDR? Yeah, absolutely. As I was alluding to just now, you know, manufacturers have to first 
understand what their strategy is going to be um, because there are, uh, you know, every company have near-term, mid-term, long-term perspective on things and strategy going forward. Um, while this is a really daunting task uh, for many manufacturers out there, um, but we thought the planning and prioritization would be actually very beneficial for any operation out there. Um, so one practical advice that we have and generally advise our client is to just be very aware of going on out there in terms of the standard change as John was alluding to, um, as well as you know some news on MDR. Uh, I'll just give a quick example, uh, especially on the SAMD side of things. So one gold standard that you know uh, manufacturer SAMD manufacturer are relying heavily on the IEC 62304 uh, standard um, is estimated to be published a second version of it um, with an emphasis on risk management of cybersecurity aspect. And that's one part that um, many manufacturers uh, are not putting much resources on. While there are global standards out there trying to encourage and, you know, in the near term, enforce manufacturer to you know, start looking at, uh, you know, this aspect. Uh, for instance, the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation from EU, which was starting last year. So, you know, be aware of those standards um, being published um, uh, or just be aware of what exactly they're working on. Is there any amendment out there that you need to be aware of? Um, on a related note, um, if you are trying to get uh, a MDR de designation, um, just so you know, there are limited notified body options out there. Um, and it's causing JAM to receive CE marking. Uh, I think currently there should be about uh, 10 to 15 firms uh, would be available. That's a just on a conservative note uh, by the end of this year. Um, so if you need to, uh, you know, start thinking about this MDR designation, uh, be sure to contact them very, very quick and get a hold of them so you can get your conformity assessment um, real quick. And on the SAMD side of thing, as I was alluding to from my previous podcast, uh, I think it was last year, um, there's a set of standard SAMD standards uh, published by ERF. Um, uh, a few years ago, they had been revising that uh, uh, periodically. Take a look at it. Uh, it's a it's a solid framework for SAMD manufacturer to leverage, and we feel like the regulatory bodies will be reviewing those standard uh, those guidance documents out there, especially this set of documents uh, going forward to construct their respective regulatory framework uh, for different areas. So, at just a high level. Recommendation from from us um, so far. So, yeah, and I I um I could be off on this, but I just read about another notified body actually um, being accredited this morning. Uh, I think it's 
only the third that I'm aware of. So uh, to my knowledge, there, it's BSI, there's uh, TUVSA, TUV, SUD. And then uh, I read about DECRA this morning. Uh, actually, there's been more news about notified bodies saying, yep, we're not doing the EUMDR. Um, so it is a, a very limited number of entities right now. So folks, if you have a notified body that you've been working with, um, first order of business is you, you've got to reach out to them and you've got to find out where they are in this process, if they're going to go through this process, because there's some big name uh, notified bodies that have said, no, we are not going to go through the EUMDR. So got to make sure that the notified body you're working with is going to continue to to be in that market. So that's first order of business. And if not, um, start to do your research to figure out who you need to start working with, uh, because this is going to be a big deal if you're not prepared for it. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, delaying the, the implementation of EUMDR. Um, I'm not going to hold my breath either way because, um, well, number one, to get to the EUMDR as, as we know it, it, uh, it took an act of lots of member states. All the member states of all the different countries in the EU were involved in this. So <clears throat> there's a lot of different governments uh, that are involved to, to change this now. So I think it's going to be hard to, to change that. But, you know, like I said, it, it could happen. Who knows? Um, Andrew, I know you do a lot of work with uh, software as med device, not only in the EU, but also in the US. So uh, I'll put you on the spot a little bit. Thought maybe you could give some folks some tips and pointers and maybe some, some insights and some exciting uh, programs that might be out there for, for the US market. Yeah, absolutely. There has been a lot of activities going on from the FDA side, especially um, regulating the SAMD or software in general. Um, and, you know, many manufacturers out there, you, you guys probably are aware of, uh, you know, the, the, the guidance document that FDA published for pre-market uh, approval of embedded software as well as software validation guidance documents. Um, and uh, I think that's the probably the only two documents that FDA published uh, uh, as the core uh, regulatory guidance document. But also there are a few like mobile, cybersecurity, and all that. But one of the exciting news that FDA has been trying um, with uh, companies out there is a program called pre-certification program. Um, and the purpose of this program is to, uh, you know, take a step back uh, at uh, regulating software um, on the market and really look into uh, the quality side as well as the, the development side of the software um, as a life cycle management kind of perspective for developing a quality software. So in the current paradigm, for pre-market approval, for example, um, there is only a limit, um, limited amount of information that we need to provide. While a lot of stuff has happening in the back end, for example, the development practices, whether it's conforming to FDA, uh, FDA's desire, um, or whether the auditor have the resources and time to really look into, you know, the the, the practice side 
of a software development firm, for instance. So the pre-certification program is mainly designated for um, FDA to understand more from the company operation side. How do you plan to uh, manage the software as a complete life cycle? Uh, for instance, um, starting uh, if you are joining this pre-certification program, the first thing that FDA required to do is to do a, a, a appraisal program called excellence appraisal. So what it means is FDA will be working with you on uh, looking at your SOPs and, and trying to understand whether you are adapting, you know, the good practices of developing software you know, from all the way from the beginning, uh, user requirement definition and software requirement definition, and especially on the planning side and the development practices, all the way to DBT and post-market surveillance, which is a, a very important part that FDA would like to put more, um, uh, not oversight, I would say per se, but more of a, a, a peace of mind for uh, for, 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 for people out there who will be using this kind of devices uh, because currently the framework is a little bit, um, it's, it's not so comprehensive in some sense. Uh, so FDA is trying to understand from a company's perspective, how do they plan to do it? And FDA can learn uh, from the practical practices and developing the regulatory uh, framework because of that. So if you are Hearing this podcast, uh, I encourage you to take a look at uh, uh, our blog post on pre-certification program on Rook website. Uh, and I believe um, uh, Greenlight have published uh, you know many articles about that as well. So leverage this information and reach out to us if you want to discuss more on leveraging those programs. And we'll be happy to help you with, with that. Yeah, and Andrew, I'll make sure that the uh, text that accompanies this on the Greenlight Guru blog will have links to those two. Uh, it looks like you had two-part uh, blogs on those back in July, so we'll we'll include the links to those folks so that you you can go read it for yourself. But the the uh, digital health pre-cert program at FDA, in my opinion, is pretty exciting. Uh, and it's I know it's focused on you know the software uh, sector at the moment as far as some of the programs that they're looking at. They do have a call to action right now where you know you can participate in, in a program. They they want more companies to software as a device companies to participate in this program. So check it out. I, I think it's a, a pretty novel approach. It's a unique approach. Um, definitely worth investigating because I, I think um, you know my mind my way of looking at this that. It could be a model that could be um, useful in other sectors beyond just software. So, you know, if this thing starts to grow legs and take off in a good way, I, I think it could be good for the industry. All right. So, so putting you on the spot and, and to kind of wrap things up for this episode uh, today, um, I guess compare and contrast uh, what's happening in, in the EU versus FDA. Of course, there are other markets too that, that are important, but it seems like EU is going uh, left and, and, and the FDA is going right. And I don't mean that in a political way. I just mean that they're, they're seem like they're moving further away from one another from a regulatory framework. Can you comment 
on that? Maybe offer some some of your opinions on that. Yeah, I think that's this is a um, a general feeling from the industry that um, they're they're trying to develop. Potentially, they're trying to develop framework, uh, you know, in a different direction. Um, but you know, from my perspective, I think the the consensus is that um, because of the nature of a software device, um, it's uh, subject to changes. The development cycle is shorter, um, and the you know post market activities and performance of these devices are very important, um, as well as aspect um, that uh, you know uh, all the stakeholder are uh, really want to be sure that their 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 usage of these devices is not being tempered or accessed uh, without you know unauthorized uh, personnel so I think this consensus and the 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 objective of all those activities are the same um, however, I think we are. I think all, most of the regulatory bodies are still working on it, trying to test water with the industry, um, and trying to hear from the industry's perspective um, what's the best way to work with the industry while not, you know, um, exhausting too much of their regulatory um, oversight on industry that causing more burden, while also maintaining the quality of those products. Um, you know, on patients that those devices are applied to. Um, so I'm more optimistic on this. Uh, I feel like there there are a lot of things going on right now, but it's it's going to a direction, you know, with that too of notion, helping the general public as well as ensuring the devices are being developed properly and all the stakeholder are satisfied um, with uh, uh, the, the pro- product. So um, I just be very aware of what's going on out there. Um, you know, the standards are being published very frequently and there are many workshops um, being planned all over the world as well as working groups, uh, you know, putting out memos, uh, amendments on standards. So just be aware of that and you will, you know, get a sense of what you know the direction of those regulatory framework are being developed and just be proactive at that um, as I mentioned the planning and prioritization especially on the software side can really pay the dividend down the road um, and, and uh, you know in, involve uh, you know consultants uh, like greenlight.guru uh, utilize their eqms platform as well as uh, services provided from rook um, I think can work together and and and, and deliverable can be beneficial for all of you out there uh, in the long run. Um, so appreciate the opportunity to share our perspective, John. Oh, absolutely, and Andrew, the, the thanks uh, really to you and what you're doing. So, folks, I've been talking with Andrew Wu. He's a software consultant with Quality Systems, a true expert with software as a med device and understanding uh, how to navigate regulatory framework 
certainly in the US, the EU, and and frankly, all over the world. So really great resource uh, to have in your corner if this is you know the area that you're focused in. So I uh, want to thank him for being uh, a guest on this episode of Global Medical Device Podcast. Last thing, and uh, as I wrap up today, um, did you know that uh, Greenlight Guru, we have another podcast? Yeah, you've maybe this is the first time you listen to the, the Global Medical Device Podcast. Maybe you've been listening to... Uh, this for hundreds of episodes. Regardless, uh, thank you. Uh, but I want to also encourage you to go check out our new podcast. It's called MedTech True Quality Stories. Wherever you are listening to this episode, you can find MedTech True Quality Stories as well. Kind of exciting. The most recent episode that we did on MedTech True Quality Stories featured a company called Kios Medical, K-O-I-O-S. And why I call them out specifically is they're a software as a med device company. Uh, They have an AI machine learning uh, platform that that they've developed. And they've figured out how to leverage best practices from a software uh, development standpoint, as well as building in the regulatory framework. And they have been uh, a really avid fan and and great uh, customer of Greenlight Guru as well. So, you know, they figured out how to, to build an ecosystem within their company that leverages best practices, regulatory framework, Agile, Waterfall, EQMS, uh, all very, very seamlessly, very easily in their world. So a really great company, but that episode was fantastic. So go check out MedTech True Quality Stories. Again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is your host, founder, and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru. And you have John Spear, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.